Today on Power Tips Unscripted, we talk to Misha Fisher, Chief Economist for Home Advisor and Angie's List. An aging skilled workforce is retiring, and there's a shortage of younger people taking their place. What is a remodeler to do? Well, Misha is here to discuss what businesses can do to bridge the skills gap and how to change deep-seated perceptions around joining the home services industry. Curious about it? So am I. Let's get to it. Yeah, it's me, Deadpool, and I got an offer that you can't refuse. Ah, fake laugh. It's funny that I only ever see two of you. Hi, I'm Victoria Downing, and welcome to Power Tips Unscripted, where we talk about tips, tactics, and techniques to help you build a strong, profitable remodeling company. And I'm here with my co-host, Mark Harari. Hi, hi. Hi, how are you doing, Mark? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm really doing well, and especially because of the upcoming episode that we're going to be doing in just a moment. A hot um, topic, to be sure. Oh my God, it's everywhere, isn't it? Everybody's talking about it. We could, we could do so much better. We could be make so much more money. We could be so much more profitable if only we could produce the work in the pipeline. Yep, yep. We got to turn business away because we just were too far out. You know, so we get a lot of chit chat about uh, this issue. You know, anecdotally from other small business owners, but today we have a treat because we have somebody who's looking at this in a much more global way, much uh, at a much different level than most of us are exposed to. So it's pretty cool. It's going to be great. Can't wait to hear about it. All right. Well, let's jump in. Misha Fisher is the chief economist at Angie Home Services, representing both the Home Advisor and Angie's List brands. Prior to this role, Misha was the chief economist for the state of Illinois, where he served as the economic policy advisor to the governor. He is also a former legislative director for the United States Congress in Washington, D.C., and is currently an instructor in applied quantitative analysis at Northwestern University. We're excited to have Misha provide his expertise on this hot topic, which impacts you and all of our listeners. So welcome, Misha. Thank you. Good to be here. I got to tell you, I was reading your uh, bio here. I'm not even sure what applied quantitative analysis is. But it's oh, that's not- a great question. It's... Uh, <laughs> Basically, how do you map statistics to real-world problems? So I like that explanation. Yeah, sometimes, you know, academics have a, a reputation for being a little bit aloof, a little bit detached from the real world. And so this is how do we take some of these things and this rigorous way of thinking, for which there is a real benefit, and how do you take a real problem that we have and how do you map the two? So that's what that class is all about. That's very fascinating. So so this particular topic that we're talking about, this the skilled labor shortage is something, again, our members, our listeners, we're talking about it all the time. How you, Again, you look at it at a different level. What is What do you see and how did we get here? That's a, that's a really, really important question. So what we see is a threefold problem. The first is just the basic demographics of it. If you look at the average age in the trades right now, we're going to see a wave of retirements over the next 10, 15, 20 years. And if you look at the pipeline, you've got the millennial generation, which is the largest working generation there is. And they are not coming into the trades at the rate that they need to, to replace all of that. Mm -hmm. So that's the first problem. The second problem is that it's already, there's already a shortage. So on the home advisor network, we've pulled the pros that we have. And we've seen that about, 
63% say they could not find a skilled worker to fill an open position. And about 70% say that they could grow their business if they could fill that spot. And 69% of them say the problem is getting worse. So this is already a big problem. And it's the, the forecast is not in the right direction. The forecast is that it's actually going to get worse. And this bears out, actually, if you look at what the official numbers are in terms of how the demand on the, the broader national marketplace for, for labor and talent is changing. So if you look at carpenters, the need for carpenters over the next eight to 10 years is expected to grow about 8%. And they're already earning uh, a good wage. And so you can expect those wages to grow up. Same thing for roofers. Both already earn a little bit above the national median wage right now. So the standard wage in the U.S. If you you know there's a we've got 150 160 million people working, and if you look at the national wage, the average it's about 1860 an hour, with the overall growth in jobs expected to be about seven percent or so. Mm-hmm. And so the two that I just mentioned, carpenters and roofers, you're looking at already a growth of eight percent for carpenters. So that's already more than ten percent higher growth than is expected across the national average. Mm -hmm. And the wage right now is already high enough to attract people. And then it gets more extreme as you grow, go up the sort of the the technical ladder in terms of skilled trades. So that's carpenters and roofers. If you're looking at plumbers and electricians, already the wages are about 40% higher than the national average. So there's already a big, strong signal to pull people into these labor markets. And the growth is expected to be more than double what the national is. So the growth in plumbers is expected to be about 16 percentage points hmm. versus 7% nationally over the next eight to 10 years. So we've got this growing demand and we're already expected to see growth in the people entering these things and it's still not enough. Wow. So it's quite a dramatic problem. Yeah. So what do you, what do you do? I mean, what do people do about it? What, how do you, how do you manage with that? So I think that that's a really complex answer and solution. The first thing is what we're doing right now, which is just talking about it. If we raise awareness, then we can potentially solve at least a little bit of the problem. And I think that that's somewhat counterintuitive for most people in the the technical trades because you're used to not having talking to solve problems. You're used to having to do things to solve problems. Right. In this case, on these broader societal challenges, just talking can be part of the solution. So by talking about it, we can get policymakers and educators and families, parents and and kids all interested in this thing just by raising the awareness, just by making them aware that, A, this is a really good career path and B, there's problems that we have and we need to start addressing those problems. Wow. Okay. well, that sounds pretty simple. So I'm glad we're helping in that respect right off the get. But so if you are a business owner, what are some of the things you can do to attract those coveted skilled labor people to your company there well there's there's good news and bad news for you the good news is there's a bunch of things you can do that aren't just competing on salary the bad news is you're going to also have to compete on salary it's Uh a it's a red hot labor market and you're going to have to provide a competitive wage but there's there's uh there's i'd say you could really boil it down to five things that you should really be thinking about doing and the first is the most obvious consider how you're posting your jobs what we see overwhelmingly is that pros rely on word of mouth. So again, so we again when we pulled the Home Advisor Network, we ran into seventy four percent saying that they relied on word of mouth. 
only 39% said that they relied on internet postings. Really? And then thing like going to a high school job fair, only 3% and relied on that as a tool. And that's probably the best of any of those tools. And you're only ending up with three and a hundred people actually using it. So wow. consider how you're making people aware that this is even an option. That's, that's probably number one. Number two is think about the generation that you're dealing with. So millennials and Gen Z, which is sort of the next one up, the, the Gen Z, the older Gen Z are in their very early 20s right now. The youngest millennials are in their early 20s. The oldest are in their mid to late 30s. And, you know, that's still there. You can still consider a new career in your mid to late 30s. Sure. Uh, certainly. And so for these generations, consider what it is that they like. They really like a sense of autonomy, but also a sense of feedback. They like to feel valued. They want to make sure that they have you know, options for creativity, a sense of growth ability to take pride in their work, leadership opportunities. So these are all things that don't cost you anything, right? You're going to have to compete on salary, but you can also just compete by providing a really rewarding workplace for people and a sense of really having a career. And so that's, I think, the number two thing that you can do. The number three thing you can do is taking all of those same things that you're applying to your business and making sure that you're building a team and fostering a culture where everyone has that same sense of mutual respect and can work together. And that's also something really, really important. The, uh, you know, there's a lot of evidence that people don't leave bad, bad jobs. Like people are willing to do a lot of work, even work that they don't necessarily enjoy at any given minute if they like the team that they're working with. Right. And so building a team is free to you it's going to be some work but it doesn't necessarily have to cost you anything off of your bottom line mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, the fourth is recognizing the fourth and fifth are both kind of related and that's recognizing generational differences so i i grew up on a farm on the on the west coast and my uh, my father worked for the power company as, a, as an electrical worker and so it's been interesting to ask him he just retired last mm -hmm. year so he's on the, the older end of the baby boomers and I asked him about, well, what are some of the, the generational differences that you see across generations? And so four and five kind of come from him. So I'll give him credit where credit's due for <laughs> the sense of, uh, of advice here. Thanks, and Dad. That recognized that. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, Dad. So the thing you have to recognize about millennials is that one of the real benefits about them is that they want to have, they really want to do good work but they want to follow kind of a formal learning environment. So you really kind of have to provide a, a clear pathway to get there. And I don't know if it's just because we all grew up playing video games or what the, the reason was for, for why this is something that millennials really like, but that's something that he's noticed with the younger cohort of electrical line workers that have come up is that they have a more rigorous sense of learning than the cohort that he learned with, uh, you know, in mm -hmm. his mind, the cohort that he learned with, they were kind of middle of the road from the cohort he learned from when he learned line work. It was, you know, guys who were born in the, you know, 1910s or 1920s. Right. And for them, it was just a thing you went out and figured out. And then for his cohort, they were kind of in the middle. And then for my generation as they've learned the line work, they've liked to follow a really, rigorous path. They want to do things by the book. Mm. They want to really have that sense of learning. So lean into that, recognize that, that there's some real benefits to that and build your learning pathway around it. And then the fifth thing is the exact opposite. If you happen to be a younger person who has your own business. So for some of the younger listeners, 
make sure you're not just hiring people in your own age cohort. Make sure you're also looking at recruiting in older talent that's more experienced because, you know, we don't really encounter a lot of problems that are new. It can sometimes feel that way, but mm-hmm. we don't really encounter a lot of brand new problems. And so by pulling in somebody who's more experienced, chances are they've already seen not only the problem, but also a suite of solutions that have been applied to it. And they'll probably have a more innate sense of what you can do to fix it and what works and what doesn't. So those are my top five pieces okay. of advice. Okay. So those are really good. Now, one of the things that we've heard, and I'm going to jump, I want to go back to the recruiting part for just a second and circle back. Yeah. You talked about going to high school job fairs and so on. Um, I remember attending a conference not that long ago where they were telling anecdotal stories about the high schools not encouraging or in some cases not even allowing companies to come in and talk about the trades as a, as even a possibility because the parents and the PTAs were so uh, so invested in getting their kids to college. Have yeah, you, that's, have you that's a, a broader issue that we really need to figure out. I don't know that that's going to be true everywhere. It could certainly be true in some places. But I think that the student debt crisis, mm-hmm. as people are calling it, and there's a certain degree of truth to that, that this is a way to avoid that and to earn a great career. And I mean, I know, I personally know some plumbers who are multimillionaires. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sure that's true in other trade businesses too. I think it's probably, you know, plumbing is the most direct route that I'm aware of, but I think that that's true across the board. Mm-hmm. I think you can also do it with a handyman business too, which is just like anything else. If you have an entrepreneurial spirit and a sense of service and an attention to detail, mm-hmm. you can grow a really successful business. And that's what we want our kids to be doing. We want them to be entrepreneurial, Mm -hmm. provide a sense of value, to feel satisfied in their work, and where possible, avoid a bunch of debt that's going to burden you down. Right. In some cases, kids are graduating at 22, 23, and they're going to carry that debt until they retire. Mm -hmm. You know, that's that's, uh, a little risky. And I know, you know, this is one of my favorite things. I know people who are software engineers and lawyers and accountants and uh, medical professionals. And across the board, I know somebody in each one of those fields who does things like carpentry and machining and woodworking and those sorts of things on their spare time. I don't know any carpenters who do accounting on their spare time. <laughs> That's right. true. But you really feel a lot of satisfaction in some of these, uh, you know, some of the trades. And so oh, yeah. part of it is just making sure we educate parents on that narrative. So, okay, so, and then I'm going to come back to that one again also, but you talked about giving them a clear pathway to learning. Now, a lot of our listeners and a lot of the people that you deal with currently are small business owners. They may not have that path that thoroughly spelled out. It's not like that there's lots of time to sit down and develop detailed systems around some of this. So a lot of people are doing a little bit more flying by the seat of their pants when they're bringing in new people. Got any suggestions for how they would attack this? Yeah, I think take a weekend where, you know, you were otherwise going to do maybe something that's a little bit more fun, but take a, mm-hmm. take a Sunday afternoon if you have that off and talk to, if you've got kids, talk to your kids. If you've doesn't matter, I mean, as long as they're older than about age three, they can probably give you some insight into the learning process. Uh, if you know other young people, try that. Or, you know, if you don't know any, then just sit down and think about it. But really just take the time to sketch out. It doesn't have to, you don't have to overthink it. It doesn't have to be complicated, but just sketch out on a single, you know, piece of paper in your notepad, a more formalized structure to how you would get people up to speed on what's important to you. So you could do that by first breaking out 
the different aspects of your business. So the technical piece and then the more customer service mm-hmm. facing mm-hmm. your your brand identity, how you want to make sure customers feel served. So break out those two pieces. And then within each one, break out the various components of what are, you know, if you're in a licensed trade and you're pulling in people who have already gone to trade school and have passed their certifications mm-hmm. or whatever it is, then you already know they've gotten some basics. But then think back on when you did it and think back on all of the things that you didn't learn in trade school or you didn't learn in your, all the things that you had to learn the hard way, basically. And map all those out, just write them out and then arrange them into a logical order and do the same thing for the customer service piece. So when has miscommunication with a client resulted in, you know, a non-positive experience for you or your client? So mm-hmm. think about what went wrong in a case. Think about what normally goes right, since most customer interactions usually go correctly. Yes. And so think about what goes right or wrong in those things. Just break out those pieces and then put them together in a way that makes sense in terms of, well, I should learn this and then this and then this and then this. And so I don't think you have to overthink it more than that. Mm -hmm. And then when you bring in a new person, make sure that they can sort of visualize how you're going to teach them and learn them and what some milestones are for, uh, for, you know, so that they can feel a sense of uh, pride and accomplishment. Okay. All right. Great. So again, this is a national problem. There's a lot of talk about it locally, you know, within our own little groups. But what are the government and industry leaders? What are they doing? What can they do to help build awareness and help solve this problem that's going to just get worse and worse? The first one is, like I kind of said, we're we're talking about it. And the second thing that's closely related to that is make sure you incentivize it. So we do, we have a scholarship program through Home Advisor that we put out there and we did a event with some young people a couple months ago in DC where we tried to attract some policymakers to it. And I think this is something that everybody can do. You can go to your local city council person, your school board members, your congressman if you want. Any one of these areas, you know, we live in a in an open society, so you can petition your government for things that you'd like to see changed. And feel free to coordinate with other tradespeople you know. So if you want to go into a high school trades fair and you're running into some opposition, then, or you know, a high school jobs fair and you're running into opposition, then recruit some of the other tradespeople you know and try and schedule some time with the PTA and go in and talk to them about it and really spell out all the benefits that, uh, uh-huh. that you can provide in terms of a, an alternative pathway. So that is uh, one thing. I think separately, you know, I spent some time working for both federal and state governments and nothing changes quickly there. Right. I think that there is a growing realization because people are talking about this problem that something has to switch a little bit. And the, you know, we have to be smarter about how we incentivize high schools and universities. Right now, I think we need to really recognize that you don't have to, A, no, you don't have to go to college to be successful or university you know you don't have to do those things to be successful and b if you are doing those things you should recognize that you're running the risk of racking up a lot of debt and not necessarily having a career that you find rewarding on the back end Uh so what you can do and you know this is something that i think is not talked about enough if people want to get educated later on formally you know you can learn lots of different ways but if you want a formal university education later on You don't have to be in a big rush to do that. And what you can do 
is go into the trades if you're not sure what you want to do learn a useful technical skill learn how to show up on time learn how <laughs> right. to provide people value to people and then you know once you're earning an income and finding a way to provide value to the economy then you can consider taking night classes or taking a year off mm -hmm. because you've got this trade skill to fall back on and then you can see if you really like it right. unfortunately the way that we tend to treat university now is kind of a four-year resort and it should be treated with the seriousness of any major purchase because yeah. the cost of university isn't just the tuition, which is, of course, rising higher. And it's not just the interest on your student loan debt, but there's also the opportunity cost, which mm -hmm. is cost of the money you're not earning while you're doing that. So if you're looking at an average trade salary of, you know, forty to $70,000 a year or something like that, and obviously people make more or less, more or less depending on where they work and how much they work. But let's say $50,000 is kind of a, an average since the math is easy. Yep. If you go to a four-year school, that is costing you $200,000 in foregone earnings in addition to what it's costing you. And so we really need to educate parents about those choices. And so you know, there's nothing wrong with sending your kid into a trades program or having kids be interested in trades programs. And then, you know, if they want to do a university education later on, they're, they're free to do so. That's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. But at least this way, they have a solid economic foundation for their life. No, it's, go ahead, Mark. No, it, just, it seems to me like the first step in this, in this problem is, is to try to do something about the stigma attached to going into this profession. Because it's like that's the biggest thing you know the parents don't want their kids to do it they want them to go to college and all that it, it's it, what do you think about that yeah i think stigma is a problem i think you know there's the the old saturday morning cartoons from 20 years ago of uh, you know the plumber and the butt crack and all that sort of thing <laughs> yeah. but you know a just as an economist you know we tend to focus a lot of money so maybe it's a myopic view but you can remove a lot of stigma stigma by pointing out how lucrative it is mm -hmm. right so you know, I think that's one piece. The second piece is I think culturally we have to recognize that we should value honesty and work and integrity. And there's a lot more ways to earn an honest living as a plumber than, you know, potentially as a, as a corporate big law lawyer, right? I mean, which would you rather do? Would you rather build something that makes somebody's life better or would you rather litigate patents, right? right. So, and that's, you know, I have friends who are patent lawyers, so I don't want to see my kind of <laughs> entirely, but you know, the people I know who are in the trades are, on average, the pe happier than the people I know who are doing uh, other forms of work. So you're exposed to a lot of small business owners. Do you have a sense for, coming back to what we can do today, do you have a sense for uh, what some of the more successful tactics are? I mean, you mentioned the high school job fairs, and that's awesome, and spreading the word, word to mouth. But there's got to be some other things that you have seen business owners doing to attract great workers? Yeah, I mean, I think to attract great workers, you have to do all of these things well, and you have to, you know, part of the challenge is keeping great workers mm -hmm. and, you know, in the red hot labor market that we have right now with, you know, the lowest unemployment rates in 50 years, then the challenge is not just attracting them, but also keeping them. And right. I think in order to keep great workers, so attract great workers is kind of the things we talked about, you know, to, provide a sense of a career and a sense of autonomy and uh, but also feedback to provide a competitive salary. I think to keep great workers, you have to make sure that you are first and foremost listening to what their needs are because they do have alternative options in either other 
trades places or in other sectors of the economy. And, you know, I think in addition to that, you really need to make sure that people feel a constant sense of growth. So I think people leave jobs when they start feeling like it gets stale or if there's a sense of instability. So constantly be thinking about new ways for people to learn. So even your experienced people, you know, you could think about bringing in, uh, you know, regardless of your trades, there's always new things that are going on in building materials. So you could think about, well, do I bring in people from, uh, you know, the various building rep things and do a weekend seminar where people come in and learn about what's going on new in, in that industry mm-hmm. to make sure they're up to speed on it. Are there competitions? So, you know, I mentioned my father was a lineman for the power company uh, uh, where we grew up. And, you know, they have uh, competitions for linemen to see, you know, who can scale the pole the faster. <laughs> right. And firefighters do this too. So, you know, think about that. Are there, are there, are there ways that you can build and grow your community that make people feel that constant sense of learning? Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Well, Misha, I want to continue the constant sense of learning and learn a little bit more about you. Are you ready for the lightning round? I'm, I'm ready for as well as I'll ever be. <laughs> and now, here's the Remodeler's Advantage lightning round. It's a trap. Okay, let's put 60 seconds on the clock. Here we go. What's your favorite business book and why? The I'll give you two answers. The first one's a little esoteric, but I'm going to say it anyway, and that's The Origins of Political Order by Francis Fukuyama. It is a business book because it gets at how people interact, and that is in the end what business is about. My real answer is the book Super Forecasting. Uh, It's an economics book, but it's really about how you think about the future and how you measure success. If you weren't chief economist for Home Advisor and Angie's List, what do you think you'd be doing? I think I'd probably be a mechanical engineer. I really like it. It's a lot of the same math as economics, and it's about building practical things. There's not a lot of theoretical mechanical engineers. You do a lot of it at three hands. What are you not very good at? Dancing. (laughs) (laughs) Your room, your desk, or your car, which would you clean first? Desk, then car, then room. I spend the most time at my desk, the second most amount of time in my car, and the least amount of time in my room. (laughs) How many pancakes do you eat in a year? Five or seven. In that. <laughs> Not a lot of pancakes. It's usually once a year on my birthday. And I'll there you go. What do you do first? Wake up or open your eyes? Wake up. Name a movie you've seen more than 10 times. Forrest Gump. <laughs> That's a good one. All right. Well, thank you, Misha. This is fascinating. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your expertise with us. Uh, you know, it's just great to have a, that, that higher level perspective. Now, before you leave us, though, I want you to share your five words of wisdom with our listening audience and tell us why they resonate with you. Read books widely and often. Those are my five words. Good. I think you should read both fiction and nonfiction. You should, I think that, you know, we do some things wrong with university education. I think one of the things we do really right is we foster a sense of reading. And sometimes the, the, the reading material can be a little questionable, but I think it's important to read as much as you possibly can mm-hmm. from as wide a variety of sources as you can. If you read a lot of fiction, you can learn a lot of lessons about how to go about your life and how to avoid making the wrong decisions, those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And then you should read a lot of nonfiction because there's a lot of technical knowledge you can gain from that, whether it's about your industry or a different industry or history, whatever those things yeah. are. So that's my number one thing. Read books 
widely enough. That's wonderful, and I am definitely with you in that camp. So thank you very much for taking the time out of your very busy day to be here with us and, and share your expertise. Um, are there any resources that you would like to share with our listening audience we should put in show notes? Any resources that would, might help them or or anything? Yeah, we've got a pro center that is, I think, has a lot of, you know, off of Home Advisors brand. And we've got a pro center that allows people to go in and learn various things about the industry. And then we're also in the process of launching a very non-commercial research portal that's uh-huh. not tied to the, the business in any way. It's just about understanding industry and analysis. It's not quite live yet, but over the next month or two, we'll have that live. And that'll be at homeadvisor.com slash research. And that's going to be non-commercial, not tied to our bottom line, just understanding the market and dynamics and labor force trends and housing trends and all these sorts of things. So wonderful. Up and running in the next four to eight weeks. That cool. is wonderful news. Thank you so much. So this has been great. And again, we appreciate it. And we hope to see you again very soon. Great to uh, be with you both and look forward to chatting the next time. All right. Thanks, Misha. Well, that was pretty interesting. You know, the concept of one of the best things we can do is just talk about this issue. Yeah. You know, I really, I think that a lot of remodeling company owners and staff sit around and complain about it to each other. <laughs> but, you know, really, right? Or to right. me or to you, instead of getting out there and saying, hey, PTA, we want to come talk to you about the possibilities here. Hey, let's do a trades job fair. Hey, let's team up with our other people. Let's get this show on the road. Yeah, it does come down to that. I mean, it's just educating and talking about it. You got to get everybody on board that this is not a bad thing to do. It, you should be proud of your kids for wanting to get into this instead of questioning their decision to do it. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, in, in my personal opinion, is a big part of that problem. Yeah, yeah, I agree. You know, but also taking even more steps, writing to the government. Maybe there are programs that could, should be developed to help goose people's interests in these, in these industries, in these roles, in these professions, yeah, you know? Yeah. And the, the high school job fair, too. I mean, geez, oh, Pete's. Only 3% of their people do that. That is crazy. <laughs> geez, oh, Pete's. I like that. That's <laughs> Geez, <laughs> oh, Pete's. Fantastic. Good stuff. Yeah, there you go. You need, but, to, you need to clean up that language for this show. Geez, <laughs> yeah. oh, Pete's. Really? Well, that was a good one. And, um, hey, Forrest Gump was his mm-hmm. more than 10 times movie. Mm-hmm. That was interesting. Yeah, I'll say. I was trying to think of which mine would be. I think it's The Matrix. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love uh, that one. Yeah. All right. Well, shall we wrap it up? Thank you all for being here with us. We appreciate you listening in week in and week out. Please spread the word. And if you've got any great podcast ideas, we'd love to hear them. Absolutely. What the heck? So I'm Victoria Downing. Jeez, oh, Pete's. I'm Mark Harari. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye. This has been another episode of Power Tips Unscripted, the Remodeler's Guide to Business. Visit www.remodelersadvantage.com to learn more about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program. There you can also find information about our business consulting services, upcoming live events, and much more. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. It's a beautiful day.